I am thrilled to be able to welcome you to our assembly. Whether you are online or whether you are here in person, we're so glad that you're here. And if you're a visitor that's here, we would love to get to know you and maybe we can meet up afterwards in the Welcome Center. We'd love to tell you more about our, our church family here. If you're online, we'd love to invite you to go to our webpage and check us out. We would love to hear from you as well. But we are so glad that you have joined us and our goal in assembling is that we will be reminded of God's promises. We will be encouraged by each other as we pray and as we sing and as we study together so that as we leave, we can go out and take the message of the gospel and live out the kingdom of God wherever we are, in our homes, in our communities, in our houses, in our places of work. That is why we're here today. And so I pray that God will, will be able to give you exactly what you need as you came to be with us today and that you can leave ready to serve and live for him in a, in a very powerful way this week. I want to remind you that next week and the week following, the next two weeks, Zach Carstens is going to be with us. And so we will really be blessed by his preaching as he's here. He's, he grew up here, so he's not really a guest speaker. But uh, so, so we'll just be glad that he's here to share from God's word the next two weeks. And as we wrap up 2020, I just want to say on behalf of the staff and the elders how much we appreciate this church, the, the encouragement, the flexibility, the diligence that you have shown in navigating these difficult times. Uh, we, we've never experienced anything like this, and, and all of us are kind of making things up as we go just to adjust. And so I just want to say thank you, and uh, we pray that the the end will come soon, and I pray that all of us can be better uh, believers, better neighbors, better brothers and sisters because of the experience that God has led us through this past year. And I'd just like to say, uh, on behalf of the staff as well, we would love to hear from you what God has taught you through this experience. Um, and so whether it's you personally or whether your family or what you've learned as a, looking at, as working together as a church uh, through this, we would love to hear from you. So you, if you'd contact us, email us, or call us, we would love to, to learn that. As Monty said, this is the, the second part of a two-part series on Mary's song. And so we're going to be looking at Luke chapter 1 right out of the text. So if you have your Bibles, I would encourage you to go ahead and and open that up. If I were to ask you this morning the question, do you believe in God? I would, I would be confident in saying that probably almost all of us here, if not all of us here, would emphatically say yes. That's an important question. Do you believe in God? But it may not be the best question. In reality, the concept of God that I have in my mind as I ask you, do you believe in God, might not be the same concept of God that you have in your mind as you answer that question. This is, this is true in English when we have words that we think it means one thing, to, to us, but then we realize that you may interpret it, your friends or your family, husbands, wives, spouse might interpret it in a different way. But if you look cross, 
uh, linguistically, if you look at a different language, you can certainly see this to be true. I remember when I first arrived in Thailand as a missionary, I wanted to learn the Thai language. And I saw one of the most important words I wanted to know was the word God. And so, so I said, well, how do you say God in Thai? And I learned quickly that the word God in Thai was a combination of two words. The word pra and the word dao. The word pra meant holy or royal. It was a, a prefix that you would put on a word and all of a sudden you would make that word holy or royal in its, in its usage. And then the word dao was a common word, but it also meant uh, someone who was your boss or maybe someone who was a ruler or someone who was the owner of something. And so this was the word God. And I began to think, wow, if I go ask someone, do they believe in God, I'm actually asking, do you believe in a holy boss? Now, I think that if I were to ask you that question today, you would kind of hesitate before you answered. Do you believe in a holy boss? You see, sometimes what we think God means to us might not be what God means to someone else. And Satan loves to, destroy the, to distort the true character of God, and he's done so since the very beginning. I remember years ago reading about a preacher and an author and scholar. His name was George Buttrick, who he served... Uh, for a few years as the chaplain there at Harvard University. And in his writings, he tells about how often the students from Harvard would come into his office as the chaplain and they would tell him that they no longer believe in God. Well, Buttrick, he began to formulate a strategy and he writes about it, and he says, whenever a student would come into my office and say that they no longer believe in, a, in God, he would ask them to sit down and, and discuss this. He'd say, I'm so glad you came. Tell me, tell me about this God that you do not believe in now. And often, he writes, that they would list their description of God as judgmental, as condemning, a God that was quick to anger a God that was violent, a God that was jealous, a God that showed favoritism, showering on one group affection, and the other group he would be damning to eternal uh, suffering. And then Buttrick would look at him and say, hmm, I am so glad you came in. Thank you for sharing. But I got to tell you, I don't believe in that God either. And then he would begin to share with them the biblical vision of God, especially as it's seen through Jesus, who gives us a clear picture of what God is like. His point was, was that the distorted view of God that they were rejecting was undoubtedly not the true biblical view of God at all. And so his starting point to enter into a conversation with them was really simple. He just said, tell me about this God that you don't believe in. Well, last week we looked at the 
the Mary's song is part of a five-part Christmas playlist that Luke has as as he talks about and introduces the birth of Jesus Christ. And last week, we focused on the context of the song. How how did this song that Mary wrote come to be? And what can we learn from Mary about living in a world that's been quickly turned upside down? But today we want to take a deeper look into the words of that song because in the words of this song that Mary wrote for us, this first Christmas carol, she tells us about the God that she has found in Scripture. And she begins this song, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. Magnify. Sometimes this song is called Magnificat. And that's because the first word in the Latin translation of this verse is Magnificat, which means magnify. Now, I'm still learning truths about the scripture, and I love that. I love it when, when I can go to God's word and I can read a passage that I've read all of my life and I can still find new truths and, and nuggets of wisdom that I've overlooked in the past. And, and this is something, uh, this has been true this past week because I learned some things from uh, my study that I'd never noticed before. In verse 46... In the Greek, it's actually written in the present tense. But in verse 47 in the Greek, it's actually written in the past tense. So verse 46 would actually be, my soul is magnifying the Lord. And in verse 47, it would actually be literally, my spirit has rejoiced in God, my Savior. Now think about this. In other words, her soul magnifies God because her spirit has already been rejoicing in God. Or to say it another way, a spirit that rejoices in God leads to a soul that magnifies God. So when Mary is saying that her spirit has rejoiced in God, she's saying that she's found truths about God in the Scripture revealed in His Word. And she's begun to to understand the character of God, who God is. And this desire has led her to want to burst forth in song to magnify God. And so what is it about the God that Mary believes in that makes her just burst out in song and this desire to magnify God. Well, let's look at it. The first thing that I noticed as I go to Mary's song is that Mary says that her God is mindful of us no matter how lowly we feel. Now, that's not how people in the first century typically thought about God. To them, God was distant, kind of hidden in an inner holy of holy room. That's where God was. They were distant from God. And, and then also, God hadn't shown up to Israel in over 400 years. They were still oppressed by a foreign power. 
There was this silence that they, that they were experiencing from heaven. And so this is really special when you see that Mary, the, she starts her song by saying, For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. Now think about, think about who's saying this. She says, the humble estate of her servant. This word is actually doulos. It could also be translated slave. Some of your translations will have handmaiden. They're trying to make it a little bit easier. But Mary is actually saying, I am the slowest of the low of the low of the low in society. I'm actually a slave of my Lord. And yet God is mindful of me. She's a hierarchical society. She's young in a culture that respects age. She's from a small, insignificant little bitty town off in the middle of nowhere, and she's a citizen of a country that has been controlled and impressed by an outside nation, and yet she recognizes that God looks with favor on the lowest of the low of the low. She says, my God is mindful of me. You see, God could have used a king. God could have used a queen. God could have used a soldier. God could have used a politician. God could have used the wealthiest person in the community. But Mary says, God looked down on me. It's easy to think about God as being distant with a bunch of rules that we're supposed to follow. And really, that's how most people in our world, I think, see God. That the greater you are, the more distant you are from others. The wealthy are able to purchase a place to live that's far away from others. The powerful are able to build walls that will separate them from others. Do you ever feel like this? Do you ever feel that God is distant and uncaring? That you might even be invisible to God? Do you think that your problems are so big and your illnesses are so uncontrollable and yet God doesn't see you? That God has no idea of what's going on in your life? I think sometimes it's easy for us to think that. To think that God doesn't see or that God doesn't care. But this is not the God that Mary has found in Scripture. When you think that you are insignificant to God, Mary's song is for you. And she says the God that she has found in God's Word is mindful of us no matter how lowly we feel. But Mary continues her song and talking about her God. She says that her God is mighty for us no matter how weak we might feel. You know, the, the past 10 months have really shown us how we really don't have much control over our lives and we're not really very powerful. This unseen virus has impacted our health, our jobs, our schools, our plans. 
It's impacted our relationships. I've listened to many of you who have loved ones that are in care homes or have spent time in hospitals and, and you would love nothing more than to go and to be with them, to be by their bedside and to make sure that all of their needs were taken care of, but you can't even get inside the building. Before this year, maybe it was easy for us to fall into the trap of thinking that we are in control. We do have power, but those days are long gone. It's easy for us right now to identify more than ever with young Mary's life who got turned upside down in a mere moment. But what I notice about Mary is that she didn't merely just plan. She had been preparing for this moment long before the angel appeared. And when her plans got changed, it didn't throw her off course. She could still magnify her God because she had been preparing her heart to trust in a mighty God. And she sings about this God. She describes about this God, God that she loves in verses 49 through 53. She says, For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. You see, it's the mighty one, the powerful one, whose name is holy that has done great things for me, she says. She's using words that are really supposed to be or commonly just reserved for talking about the emperor of Rome, the all-powerful one. But she's not talking about the emperor of Rome. She's talking about the God who loves her. God's mercy is for those who fear him. And she continues, he has shown strength with his arm. He's scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He's brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. Notice she talks about the strength of God's arm. She says, we've seen it. If you look backwards and if you look in the past, you can see God's strength. He's scattered the proud. They're no longer around. He's brought down the mighty from their places of power. And it's not just that, but God has also exalted the humble. And Mary continues with their song. She says, He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich He has sent away empty. You see these power structures in our world that we think that are going to deliver us and give us a complete life and a full life, they're exposed as false as God through Jesus turns everything upside down. The proud and the powerful, they're brought down and the humble are exalted by God. The hungry are filled with good things but the rich are sent away empty. And this is the God that Mary has seen in Scripture and she's experienced in life. This mighty God that's, that's not primarily interested in just pulling someone out of their hardship or challenges, but rather concerned with helping to refocus their eyes and renewing their heart in an eternal way. And Mary sings about this God, the God of the impossible, Proclaiming that nothing is impossible with her God. 
So as we read this, the question just jumps off the page. How mighty is your God? Because how you answer that question is going to determine how you live. It's going to determine how much fear you allow to come into your heart during stormy and difficult times of your life. It's going to determine how generous you are with the resources of your time and your money. It's going to determine how faithful you are. It's going to determine how kind you are to other people. It's actually going to determine how willing you are going to be to forgive others and not hold on to bitterness. So your answer to this question, how mighty is your God, is so very valuable, is very vital to your priorities and to your direction in life. Mary sings out that her God is the mighty one. And you can feel the excitement in her words. But I would imagine that she's still scared. She's still a peasant. She's still an unwed mother. Her future is still uncertain, and she's living in a state of chaos, not knowing what's going to come next, but she has confidence in her God, her mighty God. So she tells us about a God who's mindful of her. She tells about a God who is mighty for her, but she continues her song, and she wants everyone to also know that her God is merciful to us no matter what we've done. It was hard for people in that day to think of God as merciful. And I think that it's hard for us as well. You see, Satan has our ear many times, and, and he says, oh, you're not good enough. Look, look how often you fail. How could God love you? It's common for us to think of a God that's just waiting to catch us, doing wrong, and then God's going to broadcast our failures to all of humanity on Judgment Day just before we're sent away for eternal judgment and punishment. But Mary in her song, she says, hmm, that's not the God I believe in. I don't believe in that God either. She concludes her song singing about God's mercy. Listen to what she says. She says, He has helped His servant Israel in remembrance of His mercy as He spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to His offspring forever. She says, God is merciful no matter what I've done, no matter what we've done. And I think that some of us here need to hear that. We need to hear this because we're enslaved to yesterday. We carry a heavy burden of guilt. And we're, power, we're paralyzed by shame. When you see God, you don't see a God of mercy, but rather you see a God of judgment. But Mary says, no, that's not the God I believe in. She bursts out in song and says, My God is a God of mercy no matter how many times I've failed. She knows the scriptures that say that God's mercies are new every morning, that every time she wakes up, she knows that mercy comes from God. 
That's who our God is. And so when you look at Mary as she receives this angelic visitor, Gabriel, that comes as a messenger from God in heaven who delivers her this news that totally changes her whole life right there in that one conversation. You can imagine what the evil one must have whispered in Mary's ear. Mary, you're a nobody. You're not up to this task. How could you even think? And Mary, because she stored up God's word in her heart, she shouts back, ha, yeah, you're right. I'm a nobody, but that doesn't matter because my God is mindful of me no matter how lowly I am. Then he says, Mary, you're just a young teenage girl. What, what makes you think that you can live up to this challenge? And Mary can smile and say, yes, you're right. You're absolutely right. I have no strength. I have no influence. I'm totally powerless, but that doesn't matter because my God is mighty no matter how weak I feel. And the evil one then whispers into Mary's ear and says, Mary, you're a failure. I mean, just look at your past. Look how many times you failed. You're going to ruin everything. And Mary says, yep, you're right. I have no idea why God gave me this task, but it doesn't matter because... My God is merciful no matter what I've done. And as all this is going on in Mary's mind, she breaks out in this beautiful song. This song that I feel is the very first Christmas carol. A song that I'm hoping is going to rise to the top of your Christmas playlist. That it can become your favorite Christmas song. Because she sings, my soul magnifies the Lord because my spirit has been rejoicing in God my Savior. So I want to end with this. I'm intrigued with the word magnify. Because magnify means to make something bigger. My soul magnifies the Lord. How, how can we magnify the God of the universe, the creator of all things, the almighty, all-powerful, holy one, the king of kings, the Lord of lords? How can we magnify a God like that? How can we make God bigger? Well, I've been thinking there's one place that sometimes God tends to be small. You know where that is? It's in our hearts. Sometimes our fears, our concerns, our challenges are so overwhelming 
that God is actually small in our hearts. But Mary says, because I've been rejoicing in my God, my Savior, my soul is able to magnify God in my heart. So George Buttrick, the Harvard chaplain, would ask his students, tell me about this God you don't believe in. Perhaps the better question for us today is, would you tell me about the God that you do believe in? Because that says a lot about the way we live and the state of our heart. Is God magnified in your soul? Because of Jesus, we are able to see what God is like in such a clearer way. What a blessing we have that we can sing to a God who is mindful of us no matter how lonely we feel, how lowly we feel. That we can sing to a God who is mighty for us no matter how weak we feel. That we can sing about a God who is merciful towards us no matter what we have done. What a blessing this is. We're going to close with this song. We're going to sing Mary's song together. But after we're dismissed, if we'd like to carry on this conversation, I'd love to visit with you. I'll be in the Welcome Center. I'd love to talk to you more about Jesus. I'd love to talk to you about what it means to be baptized in his name. It may be that we need to pray together. We've got members of our prayer team and, and some elders and their wives that will be there that are eager to pray for you. We want everyone to leave today magnifying God in their heart. Not just today, but the rest of their life.